0: But I didn't understand the damage I was doing to myself.
1: Mm.
0: The way I was allowing pornographers to define beauty for me in a way that eventually would blind me to the beauty of my wife. Mm. The way I was learning just to objectify women to see bodies and not people. and um, Yeah, and the way sex became in my own mind connected to lust rather than love to taking rather than giving.
2: A pornography addiction can feel like a hopeless trap. When we pray and pray for it to go away, we can get stuck in a cycle of despair when the addiction remains. This week, visiting speaker Nate Larkin talks about how he found freedom from his own sexual addictions. Before we join the conversation, though, if you would like prayer for this or any issue on your heart, World Challenge now has a prayer line. Call 833 three W C Praise. That's 833 WCPRAYS, or visit pray.worldchallenge.org and someone would be honored to pray with you. Now, here's our host, Gary Wilkerson.
3: Nate, it is uh, good to have you here today. Uh, I'm Gary Wilkerson. And this is Nate Larkin. And uh, Nate and I, we haven't known each other all that long. Uh, we met in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, you remember? I don't remember how long oh, ago. Oh, just a few months ago, few months I think. Ago. Yeah. yeah,
0: introduced by Matt, Matthew Ward, uh-huh. and Deanne, yeah,
3: crazy Matt Ward, who's yeah. in the studio with
0: us here today, uh-huh. who is just by.
3: Uh, I know we're not going to be able to turn the cameras, but he he is attempting to grow his hair long, oh. um, <laughs> uh, as I am. But uh, uh, especially, with, I think that's important. We have long hair in this topic today about Samson and the pirate monks. Uh, it's uh, this, that's your book called. Uh, Samson and the Pirate Monks. You yeah. wrote, uh, wrote that. It's been a while, huh? Yeah, it came out in 2007. Um, I was going to kind of get right into the crux of the thing. Yeah. C- c- did you mind just starting off the podcast just by kind of just telling us the, I don't know, your rock bottom. You know, when, when uh, the, the topic today is kind of talking about addictions and right. particularly sexual addictions and uh, problems we have in, in life-controlling problems.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. As my illicit sexual behavior, continually crossed boundaries. Every time I did something I swore I would never do before, right. I would think, ah, oh, this is it. This is finally bottom. It turns out, yeah, you really don't hit bottom until you stop digging. Yeah. Uh, and for me, that happened 21 years ago when my wife uh, walked in on me as I was downloading porn in my home office. Wow. Yeah. So it was a, a long-standing habit, and actually that was the tip of the iceberg. I was also at that point seeing prostitutes, and wow. I had a very uh, well-hidden uh, secret life going on and was completely miserable in it. Yeah. Yeah. And something
3: like that doesn't just sort of like, you don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're addicted. You, this comes from a long history of of uh, compromise, of trauma, of yes. difficulty. Do you mind going back yeah, to Back it up, back sure. Back it up and just kind of tell us how all this started or a little bit about your upbringing? Or, yeah,
0: you know, I think you know, I'm history. still coming to understand what made me especially vulnerable to this kind of addiction, this process addiction. Mm. Um, But yeah, to back it up, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad actually was a preacher, Pentecostal preacher, so I'm Mm -hmm. in a large family. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. And uh, life was church when I was a kid. We were in there three times a week, at least when the doors were open, we were there. Mm -hmm. And that was where I felt most alive, and it was where I excelled. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had the skills that were deemed necessary to to really perform well in church, and I did perform well in church. Yeah, so, um, so I love church. I was marked for the ministry from an early age. Um, but, uh, you know, we all have a deep need for intimacy, for connection. Uh, we need people attuned to us. We need to connect. And, uh, you know, when I got my first glimpse of pornography shortly after my mother died, and all it was was i saw a playboy magazine in a magazine rack at the corner store mm. just that image arrested me
1: hmm.
0: and i it was it was almost electric uh, and at the same time i felt guilt i felt shame i felt excitement i felt attachment mm. I remember later on that night uh, after dinner, I slipped out of the house and ran back down to the store just to look at it for a few more minutes and then come back home. Never Mm -hmm. even opened the magazine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, because I had a reputation as a Christian, because I really wanted to be a Christian and wanted to be a public Christian and felt it was very important, I had an obligation to maintain a testimony and we certainly don't want to bring shame on the name of Jesus. Uh, During my uh, you know, high school years, I found inventive ways to get softcore porn, but I always had a collection concealed in the basement of the church somewhere where nobody would find it. Wow! A, a few times after an evangelistic crusade or youth camp, when I had rededicated and promised to, you know, I'd repented, I'd go and destroy the collection. But just uh, uh, tortured by my own conscience, mm-hmm. uh, feeling really. Uh, condemned. Yeah. So I kept that all very well concealed, um, and the, the the persona that I developed. You know, I was given the nickname Saint Nate in high school. <laughs> I like that. So yeah, yeah. So everybody had a pretty good, you know, a high opinion of Saint Nate, but nobody had a higher opinion of him than I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, went on to college. Well, was a scholarship kid in a, a secular university where there, although I was the president of the campus Christian Fellowship, uh, and so I didn't advertise my porn use, yeah. I, at that point, during my college years, decided to kind of stop feeling guilty about it. Uh, you know, this was kind of adult behavior, I'm gonna get some sex education,
1: mm.
0: I'm, I'm preparing for marriage, uh, because I'm so, ni- I need sex education, this is a way to get it. It was it was stupid. Mm. Is that common? Um, I don't want to skip that too far. Yeah, into, yeah. To,
3: but but the, in the ministry you're doing now, the men you're dealing with, is that common that there's lots of excuses for doing
0: it? Or oh, sure, absolutely.
3: Okay. Yeah, and those are you know that's yeah we can talk about that later. But that's yours were it,
0: this preparing for marriage. Right. And, exactly. Know? Okay. Well, which didn't mean that I stopped feeling guilty about it. I tried to stop feeling guilty okay. about it, but you can't silence your own conscience. But I didn't understand the damage I was doing to myself.
1: Mm.
0: The way I was allowing pornographers to define beauty for me Mm. in a way that eventually would blind me to the beauty of my wife. Mm. The way I was learning just to objectify women to see bodies and not people. And um, Yeah, and the way sex became in my own mind connected to lust rather than love mm. to taking rather than giving
1: mm.
0: and it was depersonalized and it was about performing not about being mm. so all of the, the special intimate blessings uh, the, the, of, of marriage that come in that you know marital union you know it would be years before I would begin to actually experience what it's like to have that kind of marital love because uh, I allowed it to be conditioned by a culture of pornography.
3: Yeah. So you you're, you're seem to be saying it's hard or impossible to really love someone when you're spending all your energy
0: on lust? Yeah, yeah, I, I think lust kills love. They okay. are enemies of one another. Wow, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, lust is about me. Love is about you. Mm. Lust is about taking. Love is about giving. Um, yeah, so learning to love. Uh, it, it, yeah, I remember my first sponsor in recovery saying, "Nate, you've had sex, but you've never made love," mm. and he was right.
3: He was right. That's different. Wow. Yeah. 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 So that's so you're in college, you're uh, you're you're kind of hiding it, but yeah, I'm hi- feeling, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: exactly. But looking around, and I meet this extraordinary woman who shows up at our church, and she's a brand new Christian, and she's so different from. Uh, the church girls, and uh, for some reason, although every man in the building was looking at her, somehow she saw me, mm. and I saw her, and it was uh, you know just uh, bang from the first mm. sight. And uh, so we we married the day I graduated from college, and uh, she's uh, Allie is ten years older than I am. Uh, we and she had a she had a uh, she was a single mom, so uh, so I got a ten year old son in the process. A great kid who's responsible for us moving to Nashville. Um, and it is now come fifty two. How did that happen? Wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, amazing. But um, and you know we were good friends and have remained good friends. And sometimes joke that our marriages survive partly because we have compatible, compatible intimacy disorders. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was I was greatly distressed, very disappointed to discover that marriage was not a solution to my porn problem. Hmm. I told myself that once I had an actual physical, you know, committed sex partner, porn would lose its attraction, and that was not the case. Hmm. Um, uh, but I, I, I kept that hidden from my wife for the first few years of marriage eventually did disclose it to her she never excused porn use or approved it but she understood the attraction and was uh, didn't reject me and uh, said that she would stand with me against it and I could share my struggle with her and she would help uh, but I have come to believe that really God didn't design her to be my accountability partner in matters sexual, that was she volunteered for a burden too heavy for her to carry, but I gave it to her because I didn't have any male friends to hmm. share it with,
1: hmm.
0: and uh, you know I had no brothers, so I put all that weight of all my missing friendships, I put it on my wife, and that 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 was a strain, and I eventually uh, stopped telling her about the struggle. I thought I was had it under control because I wasn't following through on the impulses. And uh, during that time, found the courage to start a church, became a church planner, going to fulfill the family destiny, started a church yeah. in South Florida. Yeah. How yeah. yeah. old were you then? started the church at age 25, Okay. and uh, it was crazy. I yeah. was the youngest guy yeah. in the church, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, but everybody, but I was a smart guy, good on my feet, uh, articulate, yeah. and sincere and I was able to you know, pull some people together. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't very long before the stresses of the ministry, uh, you know, under those stresses, uh, you know, I, my brain wanted relief and I found my way. By this time, I guess we've, we've, we've skipped, by, by this time I've graduated from softcore porn to hardcore porn, which is available at this point in the 1980s, uh, early 80s, only in adult bookstores. Mm-hmm and so I am haunting adult bookstores, uh, making you know, furtive trips, being very careful not to be seen. It's always high stress, you take a big risk. Um, and so I did that, was careful, was never caught, uh, hated my own hypocrisy, was tortured by this thing, but just, I, I quit a I quit hundred times. Uh, I just couldn't stay stopped. Something would happen, and I would find my car driving back to the same place. And then, about three and a half, uh, four years in, it got worse. When I wound up picking my, up my first street prostitute mm. on a on a on a Christmas Eve of all nights, wow. on my way to to a candlelight service. You know, it was a- accidental. I didn't know what I was doing because she was. I just saw a woman walking in the rain. Uh, I didn't know what she was doing. Uh, until she was in the car and propositioning me. But at that point I was so conditioned by a scene that I had seen countless times in, mm-hmm. on film and video, uh, uh, something that I had participated in vicariously, that now I was, just a, I was just another character in the scene and I followed the script uh, and tragically didn't even see the person never bothered to learn the backstory of, of that poor woman who on Christmas Eve was out offering her body to strangers. Right.
3: Yeah. My goodness, wow. And that uh, So you went from there to your candlelight Christmas Eve service? Yeah, I went straight uh, to the
0: candlelight Christmas Eve service when it was just awful. How were you feeling? Oh, yeah. just it was the worst yeah. night yeah. Uh, at that point. And I really thought for a moment I thought this is the bottom. I'm going to stop here. Right. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, there was a voice that said, no, you're going to do it again. Hmm. That was all happening at the Christmas yeah. Eve services? I knew, I knew, yeah. I knew, because I'd stopped so many times. Yeah, made so many
3: promises. Made so
0: many promises.
3: Uh, yeah, it's like we go through those... Uh, Lord, that'll be the last time. Yeah. Or, or if you're gonna do it again, just one more time, and yep. then I'll stop. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, that uh, you know, then then the, just the okay, I, I, I made a mistake, so I'm gonna read my Bible. Yes, uh, three hours a day, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna fast, and I'm gonna st- increase my tithing by twenty percent. Yeah, and just what promises we make, uh, <laughs> trying to comp- compensation, you know, yeah. we try to compensate for. But that's a, that's a tough. I mean, all sin you can't com, you can't compensate for any sin. Yeah. But in your own mind, that's got to be a tough one to think you could ever compensate for. Okay, right. I'm a pastor of a church. Yeah. And I pick up a prostitute on the way to yeah. a, a Christmas Eve service. That yeah. You know, you're you're almost in the, you're, you're in a you're in a awkward and a very unusual position. It's right. not when you can go like, oh well, you know, six of my other friends have yeah kind of told me about when they did this. Yeah. You know, yeah so
0: yeah. you've got to feel alone too. You know? Oh, sure. There's nobody I could tell. Right. I would, uh, and I've got a family to support. This is the only thing I've ever done. Um, yeah. Mm. So that was, that was lonely and terrifying. It, I, mean, I thought for a while that I entertained the hope that maybe I, possibly I'd hit bottom because I didn't do it right away, but then, but then I did. Mm. And uh, yeah, a year later, on my 30th birthday, I woke up knowing that something had to give. Uh, I was uh, famous preachers were getting caught and humiliated and exposed and the worst thing I could imagine was losing my reputation. Uh, I, I had to preserve Saint Nate at all cost. Uh, so I was either going to have to quit the ministry or quit the behavior and at that point the only thing I could do was quit the ministry. So at the tender age of 30 I retired. Wow.
3: Oh, that was That was... Uh, and you went... It was at... Uh
0: Relieving? It de- relieving? Yeah, 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 it was also it was terrifying. I remember okay. <laughs> um, the church gave me th- three months severance. So I had uh, three months to figure out what I was going to do, and I had no idea what I was going to do. This is the only thing I'd ever imagined yeah. that I was going to do. And that's what you went to seminary, so you're, that's what you're trained for. Oh, too? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. I'm graduate of Princeton Seminary. I've devoted my whole life to this thing. Uh, all my training is in this direction. I got three kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the family station wagon. I'm driving down the strip in Fort Lauderdale. I'm listening to an AM radio station, uh, a motivation station, all self-help all the time, right? So I'm grasping at straws. So this, the guy on the radio is saying something like this. He's saying, uh, are you afraid to go to that job interview or that audition? He said, afraid you won't get the job or won't get the part? He said, well, I have a solution for you. Send somebody else. He goes, here's what I mean. They know exactly what they're looking for. They've written up a description of that person. So read the description, create that person, wow. and send him to the interview. And I thought, I can do this. I've been doing this my whole life. And I created a whole new persona right there in the car. You know. Wow magnate the business guy <laughs> uh and it worked i i got a job uh as a partner uh you know within a year and a, i got a job in an uh, uh in an engineering firm and within a year and a half i was a partner in an engineering firm and i've never had an engineering course in my life <laughs> uh, so yeah i i faked it and um and unfortunately, that came with a lot more money than I'd ever made in the ministry with even less accountability. Hmm. So I, had an, uh, uh, I, was, I was on my own. I was in charge of marketing and promotion and all that kind of stuff. And I had an expense account. And I was not accountable to anybody for my time. And, and what followed was a very, very dark decade. Hmm.
3: Yeah. What was that?
0: Well, it, 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 just, it just progressed. So I, I spent, all told, best I can figure, Three hundred thousand dollars on pornography oh, and goodness. prostitutes. Wow. yeah, uh, uh, but secretly, hmm. and and never missing church. Being very uh, and and not just going to church. I I, I, um, I sang in the worship team. Uh, I helped with the youth group. I taught Sunday school. I uh, sometimes filled in for the preacher. Uh, I loved church. St. Nate could live at church, could breathe there. But um, it was tough on Sunday morning, though. Fighting, I would come in just weighed down with all the guilt of what I'd been doing. And I'd have to, so I would make my silent confession to God because I couldn't confess to anybody else. And I'd fight my way to the foot of the cross, and then I and I'd get some... Feeling of forgiveness, you know, and by the time halfway through the worship service, you know, I, mm. I could look toward heaven again, mm. right? Mm. Um, but it was exhausting,
3: and uh, yeah, the weight of that must be hard to bear. When, yeah, you know, a double life like that, huh? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and and the great irony, one of the great sadnesses. Uh, that I still live with, one of my great regrets, is that when other men in the congregation were caught in something or, or confessed a sexual sin, um, I was among those who participated in the punishment. Mm. Um, I now believe that the church is to be a safe place for repentant sinners. We're never, ever to excuse or accommodate sin. But we're always to be open and accepting and empathetic and helpful to the repentant sinner. Yeah. But uh, w- w- but we always took a punitive approach. And I participated in effectively driving other guys from the church and knowing all the time, thinking that maybe if I scared them enough, it would scare me enough. Mm, right. uh, uh, thinking that, uh yeah. Yeah, it's a great regret I have. But you were uh, f- afraid to. Well, yeah, but I knew. So, 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 what I would do is, uh, we had what we called accountability groups back then. And so, I did this kind of shame-based accountability a couple times, but always very carefully. So, you get around a few guys, and you talk in code. You can't. I could never really say exactly what I was doing. Or are you kidding? They just. Give me the left foot of fellowship, right? Mm-hmm. So I talk in code about the lust of the eyes, and that kind of stuff, and, and then really pretend that my biggest concerns were grouchiness and speeding, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then um, we'd make uh, this deal that we would get together weekly and ask each other the tough questions. Well, by the second meeting, I was always lying. Mm. Uh, I, because I didn't want to get kicked out of the group, and the whole arrangement was based on this insane assumption that I can hold it l- together on my own for an entire week. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so then I would leave, you know, with with more shame, and then the accountability group would fall apart, and mm. yeah. Wow. Goodness, so that that,
3: so in your story now it brings up to you've been a good number of years uh, stuck in this lifestyle, and right, all of that in Florida, yeah.
0: Yeah. At the and then at the invitation of our son and daughter in law, who are expecting our first grandchild, we moved from South Florida to uh, Middle Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, Mm. and it's there, not long after we've moved, that Allie catches me looking at porn, Mm. and uh. So you said you, uh, Sorry to interrupt, but you, yeah. you
3: were just sharing this morning at our uh, devotions. I thought that was interesting. You were talking about, it. you are thinking the move was going to be...
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, the move was magical yeah. to begin with. I mean, you know, we moved, and, and it was amazing. The obsession did lift. Yeah. So we're in a new place. We've got a fresh start. We're kids again. We're holding hands. We're buying furniture. We're hanging curtains. We're walking to church. And it is wonderful. Which made me think, <laughs> you know, wow, yeah. the problem must have been Florida, right? Yeah,
3: location—it's where I lived. Yeah, it's yeah. My the geographical cure does work. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so the location sort of helped for a
0: little while. But helped for a little while until we started running out of money, and I and I began to get afraid,
1: mm.
0: and fear drove me back to my favorite drug, which was porn, mm. and uh, porn and prostitutes. Yeah, and and at that point there was a thriving uh prostitution center in Nashville, so I was back, back into it. Mm. So we ran out of money faster than we needed to because yeah. I was spending a lot of it secretly. Right. Yeah, and then my my wife caught me, and uh, yeah, she could, uh, she could, she could forgive. She she handled the porn all right that first night, but then when she found a condom on the floor in the bathroom that I couldn't quite explain, that was a bridge too far for her, and. That's when she sat me down in our bedroom and said, I am done. Yeah. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you, I don't trust you, I don't respect you, and I don't think you can ever change. Mm. I, I can hear those words today. Yeah. And those are the words really that that, that saved my life.
1: What, what, what
3: they gave mean, me the
0: right? gift of desperation. Okay,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, that, she was my only friend. Mm. And I, I knew if there was any chance at all to salvage that relationship. And she didn't give me any hope, really, to believe that there was. But uh, I was going to have to do something I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. And I was going to have to go for help.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I wound up. Uh, I, did, I had, didn't have the money for therapists. And uh, did, we were in a new church, and I didn't trust the church yet. Uh, so I wound up going to a 12-step group for sex addicts. Mm-hmm. And it was there I met Jesus in a whole new way. <laughs> wow. yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, why didn't you trust the church? Well, I, I didn't trust the church because I had seen us in practical ways uh, ignoring our own rhetoric about grace. Mm-hmm. You know, we always sang "Amazing Grace" in the churches where I was growing up, uh, but our theology said that that um, when you sinned, you fell out of grace. And God was a God of second chance, but you had to come back and you had to repent and truly repent, and then you could get grace again, mm-hmm. which meant basically that you had all the grace you needed, unless you needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I didn't want to get kicked out of a brand new church, and I was, I was. Uh, it turns out I'd, one of the things really that led eventually to the formation of the. Uh, Samson Society was I, I heard the pastor from the pulpit, the pastor of Christ Community Church, Scotty Smith, describe what it's like um, to wait for a pornographic image to crawl its way down the screen. Hmm. That told me two things. It told me, one, Scotty had seen porn And two, that he'd seen it in the days of (laughs) (laughs) dial-up. But he he, he could talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. From the pulpit. From the pulpit. Yeah. It turns out that was a safe place for me to talk about my sin in the present tense. But I didn't know it at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: And sin in the
3: present tense, because a lot of pastors... When they're sharing something about their own struggles, it's yeah. like thirty-five years ago yeah, when right. I, f- you know, one time did this, yeah, you know, and so, so or you know, I almost I'm, did almost this, said, yeah, 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 and then so it makes you feel like, well, I, you know, I'm
0: such a loser. I can't yeah. talk to these guys who have it all together, yeah. yeah. But but the twelve step meeting was in the basement of the church in the mm. middle of the week while all the good people were gone, <laughs> and uh, and Jesus shows up even though um, they. Talk about him as a higher power, right? And many have come
3: to know Jesus through first saying, "I don't yeah. know what this is, but there's something bigger than me."
0: What and had then, that? Yeah. What that has turned out to be is a, is a side entrance into the church. So, uh, so I got into the world of twelve step recovery. I started going to S, uh, meetings for sex addicts. I also started going to AA meetings, hmm. even though I'm not an alcoholic. Right. Um, uh, I, I love going to AA meetings and listen to drunks talk talk sense to each other, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's amazing to me, because when an alcoholic says, "One drink is too many and a thousand's not enough. I know exactly what he's talking yeah. about yeah. Uh, but but it was amazing to me as I started going to those meetings, and then I went back to church, how many people I recognized, mm. how many people who found their way to church or found their way back to faith mm-hmm. uh, because they finally found a place where they could take. Their real selves and say the real truth. Bring all of themselves into the light uh, and the uh, you know the warmth of the love of God.
1: Hmm. Yeah, hmm, that's good.
0: And so that was a uh,
3: thing started to transform in your heart then at that point, or
0: yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and as I you know I found my first male friend since childhood there, a guy who became my first sponsor. And I say he was a guy I'd met in church actually, hmm. um, and he was a guy who wanted to know everything. He was willing. Hmm. Uh, to hear my life story unvarnished. I remember uh, when I did my first step, which was kind of like a sexual history, the first time I wrote it out. I wrote out pages and pages and pages of stuff, and and, uh, we met at a park so that I could read it to him. Mm -hmm. And so we sat down on a bench, and I pulled it out, and my hands are shaking, and he says, "Uh, okay, before we get started, what's the one thing you didn't write down? Wow. And I went, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? He said, The thing you didn't write down. What's the thing you didn't write down? Mm. So I told him. And he said, Good, now read the rest of it. Mm. Yeah, and when I got done, he said, You know what your biggest problem is? Your biggest problem is you think that sex is your problem. And I, I looked at him like he was crazy and he said, no, he says sex is a problem, it's a big problem, you can't stop what you're doing on your own, God's going to have to do it for you, he will use us in the process, but if you think that just stopping that sexual behavior is going to fix you and make you happy, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. If, all, if that's the only thing that changes, you're going to become more miserable and more miserable to be around than you have been because sex is not your problem, sex is your favorite solution. He said, sex is the medication that you have been using to numb the pain caused by your deeper problems, which, by the way, are common to man. And so, he really wanted to broaden the conversation. How'd that feel to you? What what were you feeling when he said that to you? I was was confused, because really, I I did think that sex was my problem. I went into those rooms thinking, these are the people who have the secret information The missing piece of the puzzle that are going to the rest of my life is pretty much together. If I can just stop this crazy sexual behavior, I'll be fine. Um, And what he began to open up to me, and I resisted this for for years. So uh, it was really two and a half years before I, uh, although I had. Periods of abstinence, and certainly there was spiritual growth and, and enough change that that Allie made the choice to stay, and our marriage began to heal. It was two and a half years before I really experienced true sexual sobriety. Uh, you know that amazing feeling of freedom and serenity, um, mainly because I I kept resisting the deeper work. Um, I didn't want to I didn't want to confront my own pride. Uh, I, I didn't want to talk about unbelief because in my own head i believed mm. i didn 't want to talk about uh fear because i 'd been taught that real men are not afraid i didn 't want to talk about shame uh, i didn't want uh i didn't want to be angry mm. because somehow I thought that anger is sin mm. uh, so it, it but i he my you know my friend was patient. And he didn't walk ahead of me. He walked with me. He shared his own struggles along the way. And, uh, and because I had found a place where I could come in, you know, he wanted me to, to call him every day, um, which was a struggle. It's what I absolutely needed to begin to build a bridge of attachment and connection, trusting connection with another person. Uh, in order, I, I had to learn non-sexual intimacy. Uh, but as I learned to, to to say the truth, I had to learn to stop lying. I lied instinctively. I had a great sense for what people needed to hear, and I could deliver it that fast. Mm. To learn to walk in the light, to tell the truth, um, and to begin to face these things, it takes time. Mm. And, and that's the other thing that I brought into this process. One of the enemies was um, my spirituality was very impatient. Um, you know, I I was raised in a world where where when God moved miraculously, miracul- miracles were always instantaneous. Mm. So you would come up today, you would respond today and everything would change. Mm. And if everything didn't change, well then you really hadn't repented. Yeah. Right, yeah. It was your fault.
3: Yeah. 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 Wow. So, so, that gets you to the point of um, starting to feel like uh, you were, you felt free and felt you could you could uh, was it was it uh, kind of kind of bootstrap abstinence or were you actually lost some of the uh, as this journey went on you felt like you just stopped thinking about porn yeah, yeah, yeah. less well,
0: well you know this is the renewing of the mind that the Bible yeah. talks about this really is uh, healing by the way. Healing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's healing in a specific part of the body, it's healing in the brain. We can yeah. see now on brain scans what uh, the brain of uh, a sex addict, a lust addict, porn addict looks like. Mm. And it's very much like the brain of a cocaine addict. Yeah. So because we've been living out of the pleasure centers and because we've been acting mostly out of the middle brain, um, connections, neural, very strong neural pathways have formed Uh, so that that uh, behavior, that illicit behavior, has become habituated, almost, it's practically automatic. Mm -hmm. And our ability to uh, override the impulse has diminished. And we have to recover that. Some new neural pathways have to be formed. Our our brain actually has to heal.
1: Mm.
0: And it's interesting that the brain scans of uh, recovered Recovering uh, sex addicts, granted, show that function has returned to the to the prefrontal cortex. So, um, and that's a gradual process. Yeah. We really need a lot of support in the early stages. And uh, a- and it was very disheartening when I had my first relapse. Um, because I, I you know I didn't I didn't want to call. I remember I remember rehearsing my phone call. I waited several days to call my sponsor because I wanted to get my feet back under me. I wanted to have like three days of abstinence before I called him so that I could talk about it in the past tense. Right. So then I rehearsed my call and then I called him and I gave him this very upbeat you know check-in And then I said toward the end I said oh by the way, I did have a slip last Tuesday but I'm fine. And i uh, I know why it happened, and uh, I've got it figured out and it's it's all for the good and i'm and i and, and i I'm, I'm good, I'm fine mm. and Then I waited for the punch, mm. and it never came. Mm. He said, "Gee, I'm sorry, that must have sucked. I'm really sorry beautiful." And he gave me empathy. And he gave me respect. And with that, he gave me hope. And he said, said, I hope next time you can call me sooner. And someday you can call me before it happens. Yeah. And you started doing that? You started calling before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so it, it turns out, turns out that, you know, we plan our slips. It seems like they happen suddenly when we go over the edge, but we've been working our way to the edge for a while. Right. And so learning to be more aware of when I'm moving toward the edge and to be able to talk about it and let somebody else speak into my life so that I can stay farther away from from, from the edge, you know, that's that's a... Mm. But it takes humility to do it. It takes wisdom that comes with time. Mm. It takes the support of an accepting and gracious and empathetic community and a perceptive guy. and. I almost think it's a rare person uh, who can uh, help me in my struggle who hasn't shared the struggle. Yeah. There are a few angels out there who God has given empathy for addicts like me who've never had the struggle, mm-hmm. but mostly it's people who've been down the same road.
1: Mm. And, that's,
3: and that and that's where the... Demarcation between different types of struggles: uh, a sex addict, yeah, or yeah. A, a, a drug addict, or yeah. alcohol. That that's kind of where there's the nuances help a little bit. Because they, yeah, they the nuances understand. help a little
0: bit. But um, I have found that um, alcoholics can help me. Okay. Yeah. And I can help. I I can be some help to an alcoholic, but not as much help. Yeah. As as a guy who that's really okay. his favorite medication.
3: Right. right. Wow. You were in um, the the um, recovery mode for a number of years and then something started shifting and you started thinking about Jesus and the center of it was slightly yeah. more, a lot more, uh, just kind of, and something started being birthed in your heart, a vision. It really
0: like, did. You know, it was almost like being born again again. Hmm. Uh, I had started to become, there'd been the seed of cynicism that was growing in me during those desperate years of active addiction. You know, there's gnawing doubt does God really care? Can God really heal? Is this as good as it gets? Does he can he really set us free? Yeah. Is, yeah.
3: Is, yeah. Is are his promises true? Yeah. And then ultimately, is, is he is he even there? Yeah. Uh, is there really a God? Oh know, sure, know? Sure,
0: yeah. sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At one point I remember thinking either he doesn't care or he doesn't exist. Yeah. I preferred to think he didn't care. Yeah. 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 Um, but now from the basement of the church, I, when I picked up the Bible there, it was, uh, Gary, it was like a different book. Hmm. It was like I saw verses from a whole different angle, uh, and the love of God shone through those pages in a way it never had before. It's like you shifted from
3: theology to like a real experience with yeah. God in a sense. Like yeah, Not yeah. that you didn't have experience with God before, but there's something about uh, going through... That uh, that the, the, the miracle of transformation, yeah. even if it be a, a, a process, yeah. when you realize that your prayers are being answered and the process is working, yeah. and something's happening in your life, and you're beginning to see it and experience yeah. it, yeah, I think certain scriptures leap off the pages that would not have before. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Yeah. If, you, yeah. if you're not, if you're stuck, and you're reading that, you just go like, man, what, <laughs> you know, it's like, what's wrong with me, or yeah. what's wrong with this Bible that's not telling me the truth, or what's wrong with the God who, who had this printed for us and. Uh, yeah. But to be able to experience that now and go like, okay, I, I think I know what that means. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's, and he who f- is forgiven much loveth much. Yeah, and that's why, and, and that's not just for love of God, love of people, but also the love of the Word. Yeah, uh, I think you love the Word because you go like, man, this thing is telling me about my own life, really. Yeah, yeah. So, so that started moving you towards, yeah, uh, creating something, right?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I remember at one point uh, uh, a guy asked me to sub for him in teaching his adult. Sunday school class. He had about 30 people in the class, and he asked if I would sub. And I said, um, I don't think I can. And he said, why not? You've been to seminary. Why can't you teach a class? I said, well, you know, I don't tell a lot of people this, but I'm a sex addict in recovery, and I can't promise that I'll never slip again. So I, I, and I can't expose the church to that risk. So I can't. He said, no, I think you should teach the Sunday school class. And I said, well, I, I respect that, but you're not the pastor of the church. He said, well, talk to, talk to Scotty. So I made an appointment to see Scotty, and he's a busy guy, and it was about a month later before I finally got in to see him. And then so I told Scotty, he says, I hear that the George has asked you to teach a class with him, and you don't want to do it? And I said, well, yeah, here's the, here's the deal. And uh, Scotty was so great. He goes, oh, Nate, Please teach the class by the way can you sub for me preaching in in three weeks from now wow he put me in the pulpit (laughs) yeah that's cool um because he understands grace yeah um uh, what i found is a lot of guys as i now i started teaching the sunday school class even when i preached that sunday i talked about addiction but never named sex addiction and that was really at Allie's request Because she was really concerned that if people found out I was a sex addict, that uh, we would lose the friends we had, that people would pull their children away from me. I'd be designated a danger and probably show up on the Internet somewhere. Uh, You know, we'd just catastrophize, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I spoke about being an addict. Uh, I became a regular in that Sunday school class, became a co-teacher. The class blew up. Now we've got 300 people in the class. And and I'm seeing the gospel like I've never seen it before. I'm teaching and preaching like I never have. And I'm talking as an addict without ever naming my addiction. And I'm sure there was a lot of speculation. You know, probably people thought I was a Scrabble addict. Those, or something, with, the,
3: those with the gambling addiction were putting money on yeah, whether it yeah, yeah, was yeah. Uh, alcohol, or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, uh,
0: but meanwhile, I did disclose it to one-on-one when guys would come. I told Scotty, I said, "When you run into a guy who has this problem, here's my phone number. Have him call me." So my phone started to ring. I imagine so. Yeah. And so I started meeting guys and telling my story, and then, and then a lot of them really identified, I would take him to 12-step meetings. Some of them connected with 12-step meetings, and some of them didn't, it was just too tough, the transition was too big. Because if you'd named Jesus in the 12-step meeting, they look at you funny. They really, uh, and uh, so, and they, uh, one of the things that I had a tough time with early on was they talk about addiction as a disease rather than, you know, I remember having it out with my sponsor one day saying, I said, you know, I just I keep talking about this as, as a disease, and uh, it, and it really makes me mad, and I'm sure it makes God mad too, because we're we are, you know, we're defying <laughs> a holy God. This is sin. And my, I remember my sponsor said, uh, "Think of it this way: What if addiction is a sickness caused by sin?" Hmm. I said, "Well, show it to me in the Bible." He said, Romans chapter 7. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. So we go to 7, verse 21, where Paul says, So, if I continue to do the thing I hate, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. That is, in my members. And he repeats that phrase, in my members, twice in three verses. It's in me now. It has affected me. You know, um... I spent years begging God for a forgiveness that was already mine because I didn't believe the gospel. Not knowing that what I really needed was healing.
1: Um,
0: And not knowing that healing was only going to come as I, you know, my sex addiction, uh, uh, you know, that whole vulnerability of mine is really, its roots are in an intimacy disorder. I have a deep need for connection. That's how God made me. We are the body of Christ. We actually are. We're not an organization. We are an organism whose members are so closely connected we can only move together, right? Jesus came to reconstitute the family of God. This is an organic thing. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be free, never going to be really happy and enjoy the freedom of Christ until I am in real relationship with other members of the body of Christ. Um, And that can only happen when I bring my real self, Mm -hmm. which means I've got to be willing to speak the truth. I've got to confess. Mm -hmm. And that means I confess my failure. And I also, by the way, confess my gifts and strengths. Uh, I don't hide from either, and I don't hide any of it from you. Mm -hmm. And so healing comes, James tells us when we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, Mm -hmm. then healing comes. Mm -hmm. And it comes progressively. It comes to us individually. We heal individually and we become uh, progressively healthier as an organism Mm -hmm. when we have authentic relations. But when nobody can send their real self to church, when the building is full but nobody's there because everybody sent somebody else, I don't think Jesus even bothers to show up. <laughs> wow. That's a shame,
1: yeah, right?
0: Is. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it is. Well, um, so much of what you're saying is raising up tons of questions in my mind and I'm sure in those who are listening as well. Um Men or women who are saying, "Okay, oh, I'm addicted to this," or I have a sexual addiction. Um, can we take the next uh, session? Yeah. Uh, can you stay a little longer? I would love to. Okay, and and I want to get into some of the um, ways of escape. You know, mm-hmm. the scripture talks about there's a yeah. way of escape, yeah. and uh, you've you've already talked about it interwoven woven in your story mm-hmm. uh, so so profoundly and powerfully. Uh, but I'd like for us to come back and uh, do one more episode, yes. and because uh, there's tons of questions in my mind, and I'm sure those listening as well. So. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate that.
2: God designed all human beings to need intimacy and love, but he wants us to experience those deep desires in healthy ways. In order to truly heal from sexual addictions, we need to have deep, genuine relationships with fellow believers. Then we will know love as God meant it to be. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge. Sound design for this episode by Mike Hallsmith. This episode was written by Rachel Schmitz. Our producer is Chris Wickington with video production by Aaron Gale. We hope you tune in next week to the Gary Wilkerson podcast to hear the continuation of our conversation with Nate Larkin. Until then, do all you can to live a better life and make a better world through Jesus Christ.